Good morning once again and greetings in Jesus' name. It gives me great pleasure to be able to can record these teachings from the book of Revelation. You'll remember last time I spoke about the introduction, more or less, on the book, what would be seen or found in the entire 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. I would start with Revelation chapter 1, which I would try to um, give you some teachings, what is to be found in the book, but not in any great depth as it were. So before I commence this teaching, um, let me just give a brief word of prayer. Almighty God, our Father, we are so thankful to you for another beautiful day you have given us. We thank you for sparing our lives and for bringing us into this day. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit will give direction and leading as I would endeavor even to speak about your word, Lord, and give these teachings so that everyone who will hear them will think about them, will give deep thought about them day and night. Thank you, Father, for your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Revelation begins by stating it is the revelation or act of God which he made known to his son, Jesus Christ, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass and which would now be made known unto his servant, John the Apostle who bore record of God's word, the testimony of Jesus Christ, and what things he saw Jesus did. This was John the Apostle, one of Zebedee's sons. He was a fisherman just like the father and his brother James. They were all fishermen. I think they were from the um, area of Galilee. And Jesus called him one day he was fishing with the father he and his brother James and Jesus passed by and said to them, both of them, follow me. And they left the fishing net and they followed Jesus. And Jesus made him um, into not only a disciple, but an apostle, one sent. He followed and Jesus taught him and now Jesus sent him. And here he is on the Isle of Patmos, all out of the agency by himself, just alone, and the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him. He was in spirit, the Bible teaches us. And a blessing is pronounced upon all who read and hear these words in this prophecy and are urged to keep what is contained therein because the end is near. We read this in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And then then in verses 4 to 8, John greets the churches in Asia. There were seven of them. He also conveys greetings from the Lord Jesus and the seven spirits which are before God's throne. Some believe that the seven spirits refers to seven angelic beings, but it refers rather to the Holy Spirit since the blessing also comes from the Father and the Son and no created being is allowed to join with the Godhead. Now, the seven spirits here, in a nutshell, also means that this is the Holy Spirit in his completion, in his perfection, in his 
almighty power. He's a spirit of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. Everything that is good is the spirit and comes from the spirit, who is God. The same thing that comes from the spirit comes from the father and the son. All three, they all are in a unity and they're not divorced and they don't get against each other. There's a oneness in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It also has to do with the perfection of the Holy Spirit and the abundance of his power. John speaks of Christ, the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead, who is the prince of the earthly kings. Christ is ruler or chief over the earthly kings. He loved us and cleansed us from our sins in his own blood, making us kings and priests unto God the Father. When Christ died, he rose again and he's still alive. We'll find this here later down in the same chapter here. He will return to this earth in the same way he ascended after his resurrection and every eye will see him and all kinds of people will be mourning. They will lament or they will mourn when they see him. He is the A and the Z, the Almighty. That's verses 4 to 8. In other words, he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the first, he's the last. There is no one that's above or beneath him. Everyone else have to be in between. So he has all authority. He has all power over every individual. The Patmos vision, that's where um, John was. He, he was out on the Isle of Patmos, as I said, verses 9 to 18. He was on earth in this isle for the preaching of God's word and the testimony of Jesus Christ, looking at the vision of Jesus Christ the Lord was showing John things that had happened, things that was happening or were happening at the time and would happen. While on earth, John was in the spirit and was looking forward through the church age, probably to its end. According to Revelation chapter 2 verse 3, we'll come to those um, churches starting from in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. John heard the voice of the Lord Jesus who introduced himself as the Alpha and the Omega, telling him to write what he sees in a book and send it to the seven churches that were shown to him in Asia and which were all numbered in the vision. Revelation chapter 1 verse 11. John said when he turned to see the voice who was speaking with him, he also saw seven golden candlesticks in their midst, and one was like unto the Son of Man, of which John gave a clear description of him in verses 12 to 15. John said he also saw seven stars in his right hand. A sharp two-edged sword went forth from his mouth, and his appearance was in great strength as the sunshine. You know, when we were little children at home in the West Indies, we used to try looking at the sun, you know, especially when it's 
midday, like 12 noon, midday. And all we tried, you know, it was in vain because if you started, you know, it's a no-no. You couldn't do it. His presence seemed to have struck such fear in John that he fell down at his feet as dead. You see, when Jesus Christ appeared to John, he was shining, as it were. It was like a bright shining light, and John couldn't stand it. So therefore, that's why he fell down to the ground, as though he was dead. He couldn't say anything. I could just imagine. The Lord then seemed to have had calm John's fears, assuring him who he was and that he was very much alive. That's what Jesus said. We'll come to that in verses 16 to 18. So Jesus was more or less saying to John, I was dead a while ago, but now I am alive again, and I will never die again. No one will ever be able to put me to death again. Well, rather, no one really put Jesus Christ to death as such. We say, you know, we say people commit murder or he was murdered, but Jesus Christ said, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No man take it away from me. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again because he received such a command from his father. So Jesus laid down his life for all humans. John was then commanded to write what he had seen concerning the things which are and things which are to be after these, that is, the, after the churches. So John was given a little glance or a quick look into the mystery or secrecy of the seven stars and seven golden candlesticks which he saw in the Lord's hand. Verses 19 and 20. We go into, um, that was chapter one. We go into chapter two now, and this chapter two begins with the things which are, which John was commanded to write unto the seven churches in Asia. And we look here at verses one to 17. Um, and we're looking at three churches that are named. One, Ephesus. The first message was written and sent to the church in Ephesus. That's verses 1 to 7. This was the church that had seemingly been organized at the end of the apostolic age, who had left its first love, especially its love toward Jesus. The church was urged to repent and return to its first love. Return to that first desire, that longing, that passion, that eager desire, that yearning, that very earnest desire. One could only imagine when a young man and a young lady meet for the first time and they start chatting and then, you know, they meet at other regular intervals and express their love for each other and they don't want to be out of the sight or presence of one another. And then, you know, a date is fixed uh, according to the um, proposal, rather the man proposed to the lady. Sometimes the lady proposed to the man too as well. That could happen. 
and they get married, you know, leading up to the um, wedding. They don't want to be away from each other, isn't it? And then after the wedding, you know, it don't have to be like that. After the wedding and things go on for a few years, may family may come, you know, and then you find the love for each other grow cold as it were. But it doesn't have to be like that. Not really. However, I'll leave that there for you to sort of um, think about. It was commended for its hatred of the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which seemed to have been a division in the brotherhood between priests and laity. The priests here, you know, which was the brotherhood, those men um, that were in higher positions, as it were, leadership positions, the priests, they love to be called rabbi, that means teacher. A title that was denounced by Jesus, which the Pharisees love, and they always wanted to be addressed in public as rabbi. And our Lord Jesus was against this. And, you know, this is borne out um, by Jesus Christ when he spoke to um, his disciples, as it were, in Matthew chapter 23, verses 8 and 9. You know, they love to be called rabbi and they love the high seats, you know, as it were. And Jesus said, call no man your father, neither. You only have one father. They love to be called father and bishop and priest, such names. The, the, the titles, rather, you know, but titles doesn't put us anywhere or put anyone anywhere. It's what we do and the way how we live that is important for the Lord Jesus Christ, and which was an achievement that was rife, you know, to the Pharisees and highly recognized among them. They wanted it, they loved it. Some of the ministers in church today love to be addressed as bishop. You could see, um, you know, how Paul mentioned this here. He wrote about it in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desire a good work and the qualifications of a bishop. Um, that is only an office, it's not really a title as such, bishop. But some, you know, church ministers today love to be called bishop and reverend. Psalm 111, that's 111, verse 9, you know, reverend there is, you know, preserved or refers to God Almighty, who we should reverend, respect, or even sometimes some ministers love to be called father, especially in the Roman Catholic Church. And even in some Church of England, father. That's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. Call no man your father. You only have one father, God. Yes, we have earthly fathers, but when it comes to spiritual matters, church matters, religious matters, that's what Jesus was talking about. The church was urged to hear what the Spirit is saying. They were told to repent. Go back to your first love. You've left it. And how it happens, you know, not only to husbands and wives, not only to parents and children, but it also happens to us Christians too as well. The second church, Smyrna. The second message was to the church in Smyrna. That's verses 8 to 11 of chapter 2. 
this church had been experiencing a great time of persecution and suffering and poverty. However, Jesus said to John, it was rich. Just imagine, is suffering persecution, um, poverty, you know, and it wasn't rich in material things, but it was rich nevertheless, spiritually speaking. Among them were some who pretended to be Jews, however, but who were of Satan's synagogue. And we have that not only in the church in Smyrna, which was yesteryears, but we have it even present now, today. Some people who pretend to be Christians, but, you know, it's only a name, it's not indeed, it's only a word, but not in actions, in behavior, and lifestyle. The members were told that they would undergo trials and suffering, and some of them would be cast into prison as a test of their faith, but would and would suffer for a period of 10 days. It's not very long, but it might be harsh, isn't it? But let us note here that there was no rebuke that was made to this church in Smyrna. They were encouraged to stand faithful unto death, and a crumb of life would be theirs. They were urged, nevertheless, to hear what the Spirit is saying. And the third church was that of Pergamos. The, church, the third message was to the church in Pergamos, or Pergamum, M-U-M, M-O-S or M-U-M, verses 12 to 17. This church seemed to have been under supreme authority that was of a worldly nature. They were living where Satan had his dwelling. That's verse 13. They still had held fast to the Lord's name and had kept the faith even during the time of Antipas, who was killed. He was a faithful servant of God. And this church was nevertheless rebuked for having the teachings of two persons among them. And these two persons that were among them, which, you know, um, had the teachings, you know, widespread throughout the congregation in the Pergamos church, the teachings were that of Balaam. Second Peter 2.15 and Jude 11 speak about this here. Balaam, who taught Balaam how to corrupt God's people, Israel? who he couldn't get cursed. You see, Balak, the king, he sent and he told Balaam because he heard that Balaam, you know, was a sort of um, prophet, as it were, who would be able to can put curse upon people. You know, so he offered him prestige, maybe a lot of money, you know, a high office, as it were, maybe in his administration or something like that, firm, for, uh, you're looking, um, firm, form of some form of, um, you know, prestige, as it were, fame, as it were. That's what I was trying to say, fame and fortune. You so, see, so Balaam was offered such things. And he was a sort of, um, you know, greedy fella, this Balaam. Loved money. Loved to be always up to the forefront of the battle in the limelight. 
like many folks today. But by tempting the Israelite men to marry the Moabite women, thereby defiling their sanctification and surrender their pilgrim character, you know, this was the only way that Balak would be able to can corrupt the people of God, marrying outside of the Israelite tribes, as it were, the 12 tribes. You know, one tribe could marry into another tribe, as it were. This was God's express will for um, his people. He didn't want them to go outside. You see, it is that union of the world with the church that becomes spiritual unchastity, spiritual impurity, and James 4.4 4 speaks about this. Pergamos had lost the pilgrim character and the church was living where Satan had his throne set up in the world. There were a marked set of people on a journey to a holy place. You see, in Numbers chapter 22, um, verses 5 and 6, Numbers 23, verse 8, Numbers 31, verse 15 and 16, if you read those chapters and verses, you'll see where Balaam tried on occasions to curse God's people, and he couldn't do it. Every time he opened his mouth, all he did was to pronounce blessing upon God's people because it was not God's will for Balaam to curse God's people. God told him, whom he had blessed, he, Balaam, couldn't curse. When God bless you, no man curse you. When the blessing of God is upon you, no man can remove it. The only person that can remove it is you yourself. You know, if you say to God, well, look, I doesn't need it. And you deviate and go the other side. But whom God bless, no man curse. The other teaching was that of the Nicolaitans, verse 14, which the Lord hated. This business of the, um, the priests and the bishops, you know, they always want to be seen and to be called and to be reverent and to be respected above everybody else. And when you don't do it, they put you in the black book. You see, and they put pressure upon you. So the church was told to repent, change your mind, change course or else the Lord will come quickly and fight against it with the sword of his mouth. That is his word, the sword of the Lord's mouth is his word. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 verse 12 that the word of God is quick and it is powerful, it's alive, it has life in it. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces and it divides the sun and the joints and the marrow. It discerns our thoughts and intents of our heart, God's word. Sometimes when the word is being preached and the Holy Spirit, that's what he uses because that is his sword. The word of God is his sword. And when he uses it to prick the heart and people, you know, start to get angry, as it were, and some of them, sometimes they walk away, but those who wait, and hear God's word, you know, and receive it and believe it and accept the word and accept Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of sins will receive eternal life. But those who, when they hear God's word, because it's so powerful and if 
The Holy Spirit is using it to convict the heart of sin and righteousness and judgment, which Jesus Christ spake about. Said when the Spirit of truth is coming, you will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. So therefore, that is what happened to some people. You see? They were urged, they were encouraged to hear what the Holy Spirit was saying to them. Those who are overcomers will be given hidden manna to eat and a white stone. This signifies approval. God approves of them. And in which a new name will be written, will be written on that white stone, and only himself will know that name. Only you who have that white stone and that name written, you're the only person that will know what that name is. I remember hearing um, one lady at a funeral service one day saying that um, the deceased, God had given the deceased a new name and he had revealed it to her. Not to the deceased, to the living person that was speaking about the deceased. God had given a new name to the dead person but God had made it known to her who was speaking at the time. Now, this can't be true because the Bible is clear, isn't it? The only person that will know that name that is written is the one to whom God has given that name, and that name will be written in that stone. I can only hope and pray that as we listen, you know, and we give deep thought upon these teachings, that our hearts will be blessed and we will make our calling and election sure. In the present climate of things, there are many people who are fearful, but providing you are saved and you know the Lord Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. There's no need to fear because Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Hence, you know, it is wise and it is sensible for those who are not saved, those who don't have a personal relationship with Christ, think, you know, about God's word. Think seriously about your own soul salvation. Think seriously about, about yourself. God is not going to, in the final day of judgment, ask husband about wife or wife about husband or children about parents or parents about children. And the Bible is clear, you know, as we read the prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 37, I think it is where the prophet said that there was this um, saying, a proverb in Israel, the father has eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. I mean, um, that was a saying, but God said to the prophet, tell them, you know, that that saying will have to be ended now. It will come to an end. Don't continue saying that because the soul that sinneth will die. You see, the soul of the father belongs to God and the soul of the son or children belongs to God as well. And the soul that sins, it will die. So every person have to give an account 
of him or herself to God. May the Lord bless us as we continue to listen to the teaching of God's word. I hope and pray that the Lord will spiritualize and, and he will help me to go through these teachings. I hope all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation, which will take some time, but a good teachings in there, even some of the things that we're seeing now and we're even experiencing our lives are written in the book of Revelation. Let us just pray at this time. Father, we thank you for your word that you have sent to us and we ask in Jesus' name that you will give us the grace and the strength and we pray that the Holy Spirit will use your word to convict our hearts of sin and righteousness and lead us to repentance and faith in Christ and we'll make our calling and election sure. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.